Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, December 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippians are joining the nation in remembering President George H.W. Bush. Hear reflections. Then, thousands of Mississippi families may find it harder to put food on the table. Learn more about what the outcome of Farm Bill negotiations could mean. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, is it too late to get a flu shot? We'll find out. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians are remembering George H.W. Bush, the 41st president of the United States. Prior to assuming the U.S. presidency in 1989, Bush served as the 43rd vice president of the United States from 1981 to 1989. On this National Day of Mourning, former Mississippi Governor Haley Barber tells MPB's Ashley Norwood he was a true gentleman. Well, I knew him almost from when I started in politics 50 years ago, and I was executive director of the state Republican Party in the early 70s when he was chairman of the Republican National Committee. And I knew him a little bit then as a staffer. Then when I went to the White House to work for President Reagan in 1985, of course, George Bush was vice president. And I was around him a lot, was very involved in his 1988 campaign when he was elected president. Uh, He appointed me to the Amtrak board. And uh, we stayed close because in 1994, his son, George, got elected governor of Texas when I was chairman of the Republican National Committee, and I served on George W.'s presidential committee for his uh, initial campaign committee. And then his other son, or another one of his sons, Jeb, was governor of Florida while I was governor of Mississippi, and we particularly worked together on on Katrina. So I was around the Bushes a lot in my political career and around President Bush a lot. He was a true gentleman, gracious and someone who was considerate of everybody. Uh, In fact, one of the great things about working at the White House when I did, both Ronald Reagan and George Bush were that way. They were gentlemen who were considerate of staff President Bush was a genuine war hero in World War II, but he also 
was the guy that got to preside over the end of the Cold War, Great American Victory. So he was a tremendous, tremendous American, uh, a great patriot. But for a lot of us, I think back to my days of being around him and working with him, I think a lot of us will remember him as much for his kindness, his generosity, how considerate he was for staff. He treated us as if we were his peers, which, of course, we weren't. And I think that's something very special. He's, he may be the last of a kind. How do you expect Americans uh, will honor him? As you just look back to the weekend when it was announced he died, it, it has been constant talk about him and memories of him at church Sunday when I was home in Yazoo City. That was over and over and over brought over brought up in Sunday school and church, uh, in the news, uh, in, in in offices downtown, in the country. People remember this president as a, a president they're very proud of, and at a time when this country was clearly going in the right direction in terms of the bigger issues, uh, won the Cold War, uh, a new peacetime American peace that everybody understood without America, it, it might not have happened. We might have been in a World War III like we were twice in the 20th century. I think people are already showing great respect for him, and I think that will continue right on through Thursday. Is there anything that you recall that he did that had a major impact on Mississippi? He was very supportive of people everywhere. When when there was a need, he wanted to respond. Uh, of course, Mississippi voted for him twice for president, and uh, even when he ran against our neighbor from Arkansas. Uh, he was uh, well regarded in our state. He was supportive of our state, supportive of our military bases. And, of course, he, having been in the oil business, had a lot of friends in Mississippi of people who had been in the oil business in our state since 1939 when we discovered the first oil field in the state. And there were a lot of Okies in Texas who actually knew him from when he was in, in the oil business years ago. Is there anything else that I didn't add that you want to throw in there before I let you go? When we look back at Mrs. Bush and President Bush, they make us recall a better time, a time when they're clearly strong marriage, strong family, uh, went through the best of times and the worst of times, and came out as somebody that every one of us could be proud of. All right. Former Republican Governor Haley Barber, thank you so much for your time. Yes, ma'am. President Bush died at the age of 94 last week. Mississippi editorial cartoonist Marshall Ramsey is now behind two memorial illustrations honoring the Bush family. The first followed the death of former First Lady Barbara Bush. The second focuses on President Bush. He tells us, though both went viral instantly, he couldn't have planned such a positive response. So Friday night, I'm asleep in the chair. My wife wakes me up. George Bush died. Which, you know, when a 94-year-old man dies and you're shocked... But I was shocked. So I sat down and did the cartoon, posted it on the Clarion Ledger site, posted it on my social media. Uh, within an hour, Brett Bear on Fox News is talking about it. So, I mean, it literally 
just literally took How? off. How does it take off like that? I think, number one, it has to be who's watching it. Because of the Barbara, I think this built on the Barbara Bush cartoon because it had gone so viral. There are a lot of people now that watch my feet. But still, if the cartoon wasn't the cartoon, it wouldn't have done that. And I think because I hit on a couple things with it. Number one, I had the plane on there, which kind of represented service for him because he did. He served just about every function of government. You know, you think about it, he was in the House. He was CIA. He was president. He was he flew in the Navy. But then once again, he was being greeted by Barbara and Robin, which the thing was on the on the Barbara Bush cartoon that went viral because of the fact I kind of took a different angle. It just wasn't Barbara Bush walking through the gates of heaven. Right. And many, many people, I think, didn't know about Robin. Right. And a lot of people didn't know about Robin. And I think, too, where that cartoon and now this cartoon are different than my average, I guess, obituary cartoon. And it seems like I've done way too many this year. I'm almost sick of doing them because I'm frustrated that so many good and decent people are dying. And that's what it means to me. But what made that cartoon and this cartoon special is because not only did it make the Bush family happy, and I'm happy about that, but it also touched parents that had lost children. I've gotten over three to 400 emails and letters and messages from parents that said, oh, I, you know, I saw the story in the Washington Post and the cartoon, and it just showed me that a piece of art that I did made a difference in people's lives. And I've done 6,000 cartoons, maybe 5,000 were terrible. But to know that, you know, one or two pieces of art I've done in my lifetime can touch a guy in Brooklyn that I would have never met in a zillion years. I could never believe. And like I said, I've done a lot of interviews, but it's not about me. I just did the cartoon. I mean, the idea came from somewhere else. I mean, it came from, I mean, from above. I mean, I thought of the idea, but but that's why it's so effective, I think. Perhaps people who are grieving don't know how to grieve, don't know how to feel, but they feel something right. when they see your cartoon. I think that is, I think that's it. And I think there's maybe another level on this cartoon right now because we're in such an uncivil time where everybody is in their silos and they're on their keyboards and they're screaming at each other. You know, I, I think that the thought that somebody could be tough and civil and didn't have to be uncivil to be tough, I think that also is resonating with people right now, too. I just still, I, my very first cartoons I did were in college 30 years ago, and they were about George Bush. I mean, he was my first president I made fun of. And now, I mean, look all these years later, I'm sitting there doing a very sweet and kind cartoon, and I think it's, it's worthy. Because whether you like his politics or not, the, his humanity toward the end was something that I think we all, I'm raising kids. I want them to know that you can disagree with somebody and not be a jerk. So... That's kind of where it's kind of gone with me, too. Marshall Ramsey, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Again, funeral services for President Bush will be today at the National Cathedral in Washington. Coverage will air on MPB Think Radio beginning at 10 a.m. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. As the U.S. Congress finalizes the nation's farm bill, some Mississippians are closely watching what happens to funding for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It's commonly known as SNAP or food stamps. Cassandra Overton-Welchland is with the Mississippi Women's Economic Security Initiative. She tells our Desiree Frazier there has been talk of cutting benefits which are based on income. She says that would hurt families with children. 
So this bill is really, really critical um, to the state of Mississippi and to the men and women and children of Mississippi. One of the major concerns that we had in the bill, of course, was around the work requirements, um, particularly recipients age 49, I believe, to 59 um, to work. And we know the impact that that would have on um, on these recipients, particularly many of those are elderly, elderly or um, have disabilities. And what we know um, in Mississippi is that um, SNAP is so important to not only the economic growth of the state, but also um, to the households of the families in Mississippi. Um, and particularly, we're talking about, you know, in Mississippi, we have such high poverty rates. Um, 62% of young children live in families that fall below um, the federal um, threshold. And so we're talking about 66% of these children live in a household that's virtually led by single moms. And so that's where the poverty is concentrated in. And 76% of these parents, they work, but um, they don't have enough resources um, to really provide the income that's needed to really take care of um, the take care of their kitchen tables, and so what this means is that this supplement um, really does support these households um, that need additional monies um, to take care of their families, just put meat and bread on the on the on the on the kitchen tables, and so uh, we're hearing as well that. Um, there's a possibility that these work requirements will not go through. Um, and so that would be really beneficial, and the cuts won't come the way we anticipated that it would. Do you happen to know what the average uh, payment is to someone who is receiving SNAP in Mississippi? Yeah, so it rains. Um, it's based on, you know, um, income. And so it, it ranges, uh, for instance, when my grandfather, before he passed, um, he was getting really, you know, he was 80-something years old, and he had Social Security, and his Social Security was about $700, and he was only getting about, you know, $30 in SNAP benefits, which isn't a whole lot. And for an elder, he could have gotten more, And but it was just him. Before a family, you know, of five, those resources can go anywhere, you know, from 300 400 you know, $500 in SNAP benefits, and that's a month. And when you're talking about feeding, you know, a family of five, even that is, you know, a small amount for one month. And so, you know, we've had discussions with, you know, moms who've had to do what they can to, you know, um, you know, really stabilize those resources and make them last across the month. And you can only purchase, you know, food with these resources. And so, it's um, it's really important, you know, on average, you know, you have all households are about averaging about $247, and that was in about 2016, according to the Center for Budget and Public um, Policy Priorities. Cassandra Overton-Welchland, thank you so much for speaking with us about this issue. Thank you. MPB's Desiree Fraser also had a chance to talk with Jamison Taylor from the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, a conservative-leaning libertarian group. Taylor has also been keeping a close eye on the Farm Bill. Well, specifically, earlier versions of the Farm Bill gutted a work requirement that Mississippi had implemented. That work requirement applies only to able-bodied adults 
on food stamps. So we are watching for the final version of the Farm Bill to see if Congress is going to, in fact, gut that work requirement, which would be uh, very troubling that they're, they're not supporting reforms that are working in a number of states like Mississippi. Now, they did have a requirement in there for those 49 to 59 to work, and that was taken out. You're not talking about that one, are you? The Senate version of the Farm Bill specifically gutted a Mississippi law that requires legislative approval to waive food stamp work requirements, longstanding food stamp work requirements. This is a work requirement for able-bodied adults. Now, what we've seen is that these work requirements have worked very well in other states. Kansas, for instance, was one of the first states to apply this work requirement, and they have seen low-income people get off of food stamps and increase their incomes and really turn their lives around. So you're saying that there is still a possibility that that could be taken out of this bill? The Senate version of the Farm Bill contained very technical language that at the end of the day gutted Mississippi's work requirement for food stamps. So we're watching the final version of the bill very carefully to see if that language is going to still be in the final farm bill. Looking at the perspective of farmers in this same bill, um, it focuses on a lot of issues involving farmers, crop insurance, subsidies. How is that looking for Mississippi? Well, we have a number of farmers in Mississippi that do depend upon uh, welfare subsidies, namely corporate welfare, to keep their farms running. And this is something that taxpayers need to be aware of. Do we really want a farming system that is very heavily dependent upon the federal government, dependent upon subsidies from the federal government? Or do we want to encourage small farmers, independent farmers who are being innovative and also producing producing high-quality crops? Jamison Taylor with the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, speaking with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up, is it too late to get a flu shot? We'll find out. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Why does the heart sometimes flutter uncontrollably fast? Does that mean anything wrong with the heart? Sure. So here's sort of an overview of that fluttering that you were feeling. So the heart is a muscle, but it also has, if you think of it this way, electrical wires in it. And those electrical wires control how fast and the coordination of the pumping. And it normally that is in a rhythm. Now to provide enough blood flow to the rest of your body, that rate of the heartbeat, how fast or how slow it is, needs to change over time. So generally speaking, if you're sitting still, the heart rate should go lower. And if you're doing more activity, the heart rate needs to be higher. Sometimes over time, that electrical system can have problems in it. That can cause some of the fluttering or the fancy name for it is palpitations. Just feels like your heart's fluttering in your chest. Seeing your doctor, which you've already done and probably got an EKG, which is a heart tracing that demonstrates that electrical electrical activity in your heart is the best thing to do. And they may even want you to see a specialist in this. I hope they took the time to talk to you about things that might make this worse, like caffeine, lack of sleep. This will be something that may go away. It may come back. You may have it from time to time. But when you have symptoms of that, you need to let your physician's office know. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. 
Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The State Department of Health is announcing its first laboratory-confirmed case of influenza for the 2018-2019 flu season. They say while flu cases have been diagnosed and treated by health care providers throughout the state already this season, this is the first case confirmed in the MSDH Public Health Laboratory. Reported in an adult, the case may have some wondering if it's too late to get a vaccine. Dr. Thomas Dobbs is interim state health officer with MSDH. He tells MPB's Ezra Wall, there's still time. This is just an indicator that flu season is starting to roll up upon us, and we need to be vigilant about making sure we're prepared for the flu season. Now, when we say flu season, it's not like people can't get the flu other times, but for the big season that we're kind of looking at, how long does that go? You know, it's hard to predict. It's usually going to be sometime over the winter months. Sometimes it can start early. Last year, it started, you know, kind of in in September. Usually, December, January is going to be the onset of of really ramping up activity, but usually it's going to be several months. Now, it, it, you're, like you, you said, it can be any time of year, but we see the majority of our cases within a several-month span over the winter. People often blame a lot of things on the flu. They get a little stomach bug, it's the flu. They get a little headache, it's the flu. What are the actual symptoms of influenza? Yeah, yeah so the stomach flu usually is just a different type of stomach virus, so that's not really influenza. Influenza is a particular type of, of virus that affects the respiratory tract. It will typically affect like your, your, your nose, your sinuses, your respiratory tract, causes cough, it causes fever, headache, fatigue. Uh, it, it's, it's a pretty unique set of symptoms. Sometimes it can be relatively mild, but it can also be very severe, and sometimes it can even develop into pneumonia. And unfortunately, we know about 80,000 people in the United States died with flu last year. Every year when the vaccine comes out as the season goes on, there's a, there's public discussion about how effective this year's vaccine. How soon will we know how this year's vaccine stacks up? It usually takes a little bit of time to know for certain how effective it is. And it'll you know be a month or so before we probably have any significant indication. On average, the flu shot's about 62% effective at preventing any symptoms. Um, or actually, even in a good year, that's, that's going to be kind of where we're hoping for. But keep in mind that it's not just preventing any symptoms. We know the flu shot also is a very important measure to prevent severity of illness and transmission. People who get the flu shot, even if they have some symptoms, the severity of illness is less. They're less likely to go in the hospital, less likely to die. So there are additional benefits besides that singular number of absolute effectiveness. For people who haven't had the flu shot yet, is it too late? Should they go on and get it? Absolutely not. We would strongly encourage anyone who hasn't had the flu shot yet to go ahead and get it. As I mentioned, you know, it, it does have really protective effects, even though it's not a perfect vaccine. We understand that. It takes about two weeks, though, for the immunity to start kicking in. So if you haven't had the flu shot yet, go ahead and get it. It's very important, um, particularly for people who might have medical conditions that make them more vulnerable, but also everyone can get sick. We know that of the deaths we had, many were, were healthy people. And of the pediatric deaths, unfortunately, that we've we've been seeing over the years, a lot of those kids are just normal, healthy kids, and the majority of those kids didn't get the flu shot. So we really want to make sure that we implement this protective measure as effectively and broadly as we can. Is there anyone for whom the flu shot is not recommended? The only people that would, would really not be recommended are people with severe allergies, and that's going to be exceedingly rare. Some people have egg allergies might have to be a little bit cautious. If you have such severe anaphylaxis that you can't have anything, 
like even a piece of cake, then that would be unwise to take some forms of flu shot. But some forms of flu shot have absolutely no egg in there. So pretty much for everyone, there is some form of flu shot available. Very, very few people would really not be able to take it. A remark that you hear anecdotally from people all the time is, I'm not going to take the flu shot because it makes me sick. It gives me the flu. Is there a, yeah. that's, that's not actually the flu they're getting, is it? No, absolutely not. The flu shot cannot cause the flu. Now, there are proteins. The vaccine doesn't have any virus in it. It has proteins. Um, the shot doesn't have anything but proteins, and the proteins generate immunity. And sometimes as your body generates that immunity, people can feel a little bit achy or tired. But that's pretty transient and, and very mild, if, if present at all. Um, what does happen a lot of times is people start taking the flu shot during the colder months when, when the flu or other viruses are circulating, and they might get a virus at the same time. And so people who do that will sometimes associate it temporarily with the flu shot, and then thereafter will consider that the flu shot gave them the flu. But other than the, the mild achiness that some people get or just a, just sort of like a random coincidence to have another virus, that's going to be what can happen. It can't give you the flu. Dr. Thomas Dobbs is the interim state health officer for the state of Mississippi. Dr. Dobbs, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your time. Those 18 and under who are eligible for the Vaccines for Children's program can receive a flu vaccination for $10. Insurance, Medicaid, and Children's Health Insurance Program, CHIP, is accepted for children's flu shots. Only those adults who are underinsured or uninsured and who meet certain high-risk criteria qualify for a flu vaccine at MSDH County Health Department clinics. Flu shots for insured adults are now widely available through private physicians, pharmacies, and retailers. Thanks for listening today. Join us tomorrow at 8.30 for Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Libro FM Audiobooks and Square Books in Oxford, an independent bookstore offering more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and bookseller recommendations. More at